Well, good evening, Peachtree. I hope everybody is doing well tonight, that you are staying safe, and that even though we are separated from one another, you are finding ways to stay connected, to stay connected to God and to one another. This is Grace Moments with Pastor Rich. Listen to your life, see it for the fathomless mystery that it is in the boredom and the pain of it, much less in the excitement and the gladness of it. Touch, taste, smell your way into the holy and hidden part of it. For in the end, all moments are key moments and life itself is grace. So glad to be with you guys to find those little moments of grace that we know that God gives to us every single day. Even though we go through difficult times, even though these are trying times, there's so much to be able to celebrate. There's so many different things to be able to enjoy. I don't know if you saw the news this week. Very exciting. Hope is on the horizon. That's right. The Masters got rescheduled. And because the Masters got rescheduled, we have something to look forward to all the way in the fall. I hope that you're getting to see azaleas like this. The white azaleas near our neighborhood are just declaring the glory of God. It's amazing to get to see the spring and to appreciate it and to take walks. And I sure hope that you're taking advantage of moments like that, of being able to get outside and celebrate God's abundance and goodness. So we got a fun thing to kick off tonight with. Um, apparently one of the activities that's flying around social media as we're all kind of connected to our gadgets and our technology is kind of virtual bingo cards. And we've got someone, we wanna say thanks to Katie Lynn who turned this in. This is the Peachtree Bingo card. I'm gonna ask Christy to put it on the full screen for you so you can look at it and see how you could do on this Peachtree Bingo card. Have you taken the Peachtree Express? Have you been late because you couldn't find a parking spot? Have you eaten cookies in the Williams Center? Have you attended or volunteered at VBS Christmas Eve? Been on a mission trip? Has your picture made it the cross at Easter? Have you seen two hawks on the steeple cross? Have you walked through the tunnel, watched online worship, attended a choir's concert, sat in the sanctuary, participated in Seeds of Hope, checked out something from the church library, eaten at the lodge, seen a donkey and camel inside the church, taken a class or a sport at the gym, packed a blessing bag, attended Sunday brunch, ridden the elevator, heard Amazing Grace on the bagpipes, attended Rutledge, helped build a Habitat house, or have you been an acolyte? And when I received this from the Lim family, they asked if I could actually get to not just a bingo, because bingo was pretty easy for me, but could I get to a blackout? And the answer to that is no, I could not get to a blackout. If you are able to get to a bingo, let us know in the comments. I'm sure we'll post this once we're done. Um, just to tell you a couple of the ones that I haven't done here. I have not ridden the Peachtree Express. And you might be wondering why. That's because I'm here at six o'clock in the morning on Sundays. So I don't have a hard time finding a parking spot. So I don't have a hard time with the whole parking one either. I recognize that it's difficult. It's just not difficult for me at 6 a.m. in the morning. The other thing is, is attended Rutledge. I don't know that I've been to Rutledge. I've seen it. I've smelled it. I've been scared of it, but I haven't attended it like as a student. So I don't think that it really counsels, accounts for me um, in that one. Ridden the elevator. I actually don't think I've ridden in any of the elevators at Peachtree. I, I do the stairs and I can't think of a time that I've been in one of the, uh, in one of the elevators. 
And then the last but not least, uh, check something out from the church library. Don't tell everybody. Technically, I borrowed a book from the church library and then I put it back. I have helped an acolyte, so I kind of counted that one in my book. Anyhow, a little bit of fun, a little bit of peach tree bingo, depending on how long you've been a part of the peach tree family and whether you've been coming for years, we're glad that you're a part of the, the tribe that we call peach tree church. And it's so great to get to be able to celebrate um, together. And we look forward to the day when we're gonna be able to get back to the sanctuary and to all the different activities in the face-to-face -face time that we get. Hey, I wanted to uh, focus in on tonight. And so tonight's gonna be 30 minutes and uh, I wanted to give some initial comments and then open it up some questions. And we'll take questions that are specific to the topic tonight first, and then we will end with kind of some practical um, kind of questions that may come in. So if you have questions that don't have anything to do with tonight's topic, totally fine for you to kind of throw those into the queue for questions. And we'll try to get to some uh, questions at the end. But I wanted to go over tonight one of the most common questions that I get as a pastor. One of the most common questions that I get as a pastor has to do with where is God in the midst of suffering? How can you believe in a God that's all powerful and all good when there is so much evil and destruction and disease and difficulty? And as you can imagine, as we go through this journey and as I'm interacting with people, you know, through phone calls and through emails and, you know, through virtual conversations, in video chats, um, this question comes up a lot. And so I thought that I would at least spend a little time with you talking about that tonight. And if you've ever had that question of kind of, God, where are you in the midst of the suffering? The first thing I would say to you is, you're not alone. You're not the first person to ask that question and it's not an unfaithful question. In fact, you stand in the line of Jesus when he quoted Psalm 22, when he was on the cross. This week is Holy Week and we're celebrating the journey of Jesus to the cross. And while on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that's where that psalm begins. It's not where that psalm or that prayer ends. But if you have that question, if you have those doubts and those struggles, um, just know that you're not alone and that everybody does. When people ask me that question, usually I have to follow up with some questions to find out what they mean by the question of where is God in the midst of suffering or pain? Uh, because sometimes somebody is asking that question in kind of an intellectual way. It's more of a curiosity. Maybe they're a believer and, um, and maybe that person is trying to wrestle with their faith. And so they want to kind of deal with it kind of up here. And then at other times, there's people who wrestle with the question of where is God when it hurts. And they're, they're dealing with the struggles um, that are deep in their heart. So maybe they're dealing with the loss of a loved one or a child who's become ill, or they're struggling with um, their own particular battle or thorn in the flesh as Paul referred to it. And, and that's a very different discussion when it's on the emotional level or the intellectual level. I believe that there's good resources for both of those levels of discourse, but they're very different kinds of conversations. And then, and then for some people, the question actually comes from a place of skepticism. Sometimes I'll be having a conversation with um, somebody having to do with where is God when it hurts, and 
um, they're asking that question, not in a sense of wanting to find out more, but kind of throwing it in the face of somebody who does have faith in God and, and showing it to be kind of a proof against the existence of God. And so um, what's interesting when I have those conversations with someone who doesn't believe, usually the first thing I talk about is to say, well, if you don't believe in God, then this question shouldn't bother you at all. Like Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, once said that the universe is nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And um, if that's really what you think the universe is, then there is no evil and there is no good, there is no right, there is no wrong. And so in those moments, if you're coming from the place of non-belief, then, then, you know, really it's an illusion. Um, it shouldn't really matter at all. Every major religion struggles with the question of suffering and pain on, on different levels and tries to answer those questions in a variety of ways. The Christian answer to that question isn't an answer in terms of the sense of where is God when it hurts, it's not an explanation. Uh, the Bible doesn't say for God so loved the world that um, he, he tweeted or for God so loved the world that um, he, he sent down an essay from uh, an academy of the, of the arts to let us know how to be able to understand this. God doesn't give us an understanding, God gives us himself. Book of Romans says he who did not withhold his own son, will he not also with him give us everything else? And so we believe that the answer is not really an answer, but God entering into the mystery of our suffering and our pain. One of the great books of the Bible that deals with suffering and pain is the book of Job. And, you know, friends do a really good job for a little while of sitting with Job and being near to Job in the midst of his loss and his distress of his family, his livelihood, all that Job uh, that relied on fell apart. But what was interesting is that his friends really started to do a disservice to Job and showed their own inadequate faith and, um, and began to harm by trying to provide inadequate answers. So one of the things I would say is what you won't hear from me and what I hope that you won't do for others is when you're going through a period of trial or pain or when you have a friend that's going through something like that, don't pretend to know things that you don't. Um, and a lot of the times, uh, you know, kind of throwing in a scripture verse here or there as a kind of a, as little scripture bombs doesn't actually help the situation. We need to follow the example of Jesus. When Jesus learned of Lazarus's death and was with Mary in the midst of her tears, he began to weep. And so what we believe is that God is with us in the midst of our pain and that he gives us not only consolation, but he gives us restoration that one day God will turn everything inside out and upside down to the point where his eternal glory is known and that we'll be able to um, not so much understand, but that everything will be redeemed. I remember one time when I was in seminary that um, there was a seminary kind of theology professor who was giving a lecture and we had gotten to the Q&A when it came to where is God in the midst of pain and um, the theology professor was kind of this jaded soul who said, don't ever tell me that God always has an answer for the struggles that we're in. 
And my best friend in seminary raised his hand and said, I understand that God doesn't always give us the answers, but isn't it possible that God's ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, and that there's wisdom um, that God has that we don't have? And the seminary professor looked at him and said, you can't be my pastor. It was amazing to watch the skepticism and the jadedness of that past of that professor who had believed that all suffering was senseless. And anybody who tries to say that suffering can have a redemptive quality to it wasn't fit for pastoral ministry. And yet one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that suffering does have a redemptive quality to it. And do not get me wrong, I am not saying that God sends us suffering in order to try to make us into the kind of people that he wants us to be. But I believe that God does use suffering in order to help us to become the people that he wants us to be. Genesis 50, 20 says it like this, although you intended, this was the story of Joseph. This is, you know, he's been thrown in a pit. He's, he's had this horrible up and down kind of life and he's before his brothers who have betrayed him and left him for dead and sold him into slavery. So this is a story that's not for the faint of heart. This story that's filled with all kinds of suffering. And Joseph said to his brothers, with all redemptive and forgiveness, passion in his heart. Although you intended it for harm, God intended it for good. And what he means by that is that this is playing on multiple levels. The technical term that he uses in the Hebrew there is, although you were weaving harm into the world, God was weaving good into what's happening. It reminds us of the verse in the New Testament of Romans 8, uh, 28, when we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Notice that that passage does not say that all things are good. It says that we know that all things will work together for good. In other words, God will somehow work together the things that we certainly struggle with in the trials and the temptations and the pains and the struggles of this incredible life that's filled with so much grace, but also filled with a lot of hurt. It's interesting, the Bible um, doesn't shy away from these hurts, doesn't, you know, sugarcoat it. A third of the prayer book of the Bible, a Jesus prayer book, the book of Psalms, a third of the Bible is, is given over to complaint, to lament. And one of the things that I think our modern Christianity misses out on in America is that we've forgotten how to lament. We've forgotten how to cry out to God. And, and the Bible tells us that in the midst of our cries, that God hears us, that God listens to our cries. Back in Exodus chapter three, there's this beautiful imagery of God in the burning bush saying, I have heard the cries of my people in bondage. And if you're going through some hurt right now, God hears your cries. And I believe that he can be near you and with you, even in the midst of whatever pain that it is that you were having to endure. The Psalms question for the most part is not why. It's not an intellectual puzzle to be solved. The Psalms primary question on suffering is how long, how long, how long, O Lord? That's the real, real prayer. Um, it's, it's like Mark Batterson puts it, you know, we talk about praying for things all the time. We ought to talk more about praying through things. But sometimes you're not just called to pray for a particular outcome, but you're called to pray through the pain 
that you are enduring. And so I believe that God will meet you in the midst of your pain, that God is with us, that that's the primary characteristic of the God that we believe in. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And so yes, there's trouble, but yes, he will overcome. And so I really cling to the words of Dallas Willard when he says, you can either let suffering determine your view of God, or you can let God determine your view of suffering. And you have a choice. Are you going to start with God and say, because of what I know and believe and are convicted of about God, then that shapes how I view the pain in my life? Or are you starting the other way around where you are saying, these are the things that I struggle with, and that determines what my view of God is. Well, I want to take some of the questions that you might have with regards to this, and so let's see if we can dive a little deeper in today with this. Uh, got somebody here referencing Psalm 42. Oh, oh my goodness, just what a great psalm. Uh, was just reading that this morning, Matthew, as well, and um, and, and that, that incredible, that incredible passion as the deer pants for the water, his, his tears are his, his only food. And the, the, best the best word in the entire Psalm 42, I hope you guys will go look at it for yourself, is in spite of all that's going on, um, it says, yet I will praise him. So it's not because of all that's going on, um, it's in spite of it all that the psalmist will continue uh, to pray. There's another uh, person who's anonymously asking, uh, where, where do we most see God working in our moments of suffering? It, it's, it's interesting that you ask this question because as a pastor, if I were to sit down with you and to have a cup of coffee and to ask you the question, what is the moment where you have felt closest to God? More often than not, the common answer to that question that comes back to me is a description of when you have walked through the valley of the shadow. And, um, and those are the moments where we know and we can know that, that he is truly with us. And even if we don't feel it, even if we don't recognize it, even if we don't want it to be true, uh, we believe it is true, that that's what's real, is that God is with us. And then in the midst of those things, when God is with us, I believe that God is uniquely shaping our character in order to help us to become the children that he asks us to be conformed to the image of his son to be. And so, so what I think what happens, what I'll speak for myself, particularly this, not just scripturally, because that's true that, you know, all of this suffering produces character and character hope and those types of things, like from Romans chapter five. I, I think one of the things that we discover and, and I have for myself is the parts of my life where I have grown the most have been those moments when I have had to go through a trial, when I've had to push through a doubt, a fear, um, a hurt, and that can be a relational hurt. It can be um, a physical pain. Um, it's that old adage, you don't know that God is all you need until God is all that you have. But Dallas Willard says, I can give you God's address. He is found at the end of your rope. And so when 
when we go through those moments, we learn reliance upon God, like the Israelites did in the wilderness. And we learn how um, to live for God. A lot of the times we miss scripturally, the reason that the Israelites had to go through the wilderness journey was not because they were so much being punished for something, but because their character needed to be refined so that when they got into the promised land, they could inhabit the land and be the kind of people that God desired for them to be. And so when you go through a wilderness period, the dry spell where, um, where you feel like you're farthest off the reservation, those are the places where God uniquely meets you and uh, shapes you. There is, um, there is a question here about, has there been a time when you personally have struggled with this? Absolutely. And um, I can remember early on at the death of a member of our youth group when I was in high school, where the question of where God was in the midst of pain was the first time that I, I mean, it took me for a real tailspin. And then that was the first time I really remember wrestling with it with a, a friend from youth group that was killed tragically in a car accident. I mean, I had a youth group with 25 people in it. This was not a big youth group. And that was all of high school in one youth group. And um, and then there's been other periods where, where I have really wrestled with it. I wrestled with it specifically and uniquely during 9-11. You know, I remember kneeling down uh, on the front walk of a family's house where we didn't know where the husband was and was he still alive, was he still out there, and begging God to bring him home and weeping on the sidewalk as I laid down on the sidewalk, praying for that family, praying for that home, praying for him to return by whatever means, and just my heart shattering and that somehow this was not God's will and, and that I didn't understand it. And uh, so I've dealt with that on personal levels with, with you know, my own personal pains and um, particularly for me, watching people I love suffer has been really, really hard. In fact, in a lot of regards, and I think more people would also admit and echo this, is that, is that it's harder for me to watch someone I love suffer than it is for me to go through that suffering myself. So there's um, some other questions uh, here, some of those um, having to do with um, someone asking a question about um, the distinction about liking the distinction between not all things are good, but things work together for good. And um, is there any more kind of information on that? I would point you to a couple of resources that would be good for things like that. I just finished uh, reading Ken Boa's book, Shaped by Suffering, and I really recommend that. Um, there's uh, a book on suffering by uh, by Tim Keller that I also think is really good. Um, Evil and the Justice of God by, by Tom Wright, I think is also a really good. C.S. Lewis is probably the master on this subject of where is God in the midst of pain. You might recall that C.S. Lewis famously talked about uh, that it was God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And, uh, and he has two different books on it. He has The Problem of Pain, which is more that intellectual puzzle that I referred to earlier. And then he has the follow-up book to when he went through uh, Grief Observed is what it was called for C.S. Lewis after Joy, his, uh, his wife tragically died of cancer. And so those would be some other resources that 
you know, if you're looking for some of those distinctions and how to enter into these kinds of questions where, where I would, I would encourage you to kind of point to with some of those things. Um, we've got a couple of more questions here before we get to some of the, just kind of uh, some other types of questions. Um, one of the other questions that comes in today is, um, uh, it has to do with the, um, how can we better help people as they go through pain and through suffering? And, and that's a lot of people right now. I mean, the hundreds of thousands of Americans that have been um, sickened by this disease and the many people that will die as a result. I think the most important thing that you can do for somebody who goes through pain is um, to take the Hippocratic Oath like a doctor would and say, above all, first of all, don't, don't do harm. And that is to show incredible restraint. And what I mean by that is um, taking that scripture in Romans 12 seriously when it says, never claim to be wiser than you really are. Um, so I think it's important to draw near to people in the midst of their pain. But a lot of the times we get really uncomfortable with the silence and with not having an answer. And we want to kind of put band-aids, emotional band-aids on the pain. And in doing so, we end up making the situation worse. Um, the, the last thing you want to say to somebody who's going through a really difficult time is something like, oh, I know how you feel. Like the little platitudes, um, bumper sticker theology is usually not helpful. Just showing up, just being there, quietly praying. And it doesn't mean that there isn't, isn't going to be moments for helping to give people the word to be able to anchor their souls, but it can't be it can't be something that you're trying to paint over the pain. You got to be addressing the pain in the right moment at the right time. Uh, and so I think that's important to to understand the role of timing when when to say something. And then the last thing I'd say on you know coming alongside someone in the midst of pain is tangible support means a great deal. Anything you can do to relieve the burden um, of someone uh, becomes that living proof of a loving God for a watching world. I'm firmly, uh, firmly seen that over and over again. Okay, we got some other questions that are kind of on the lighter side and peach tree kind of thing. So just some other questions. We'll get to some of those before we sign off. Um, one is, has GoDaddy promised us an Easter Sunday free of technical issues? I sure hope so, but my understanding is that we have migrated um, to a different web platform starting tomorrow night. And so, um, so we're trying to make sure that we don't have any web issues. Uh, one of the things that you can do is uh, Facebook Live is streaming it. Also, when, if you're not on our texting list, we'd love to get you on our texting list. You can put something in the chat if, um, if you want like Christy or somebody to reach out to you. And, um, and the other way to do it is there is a direct link. Even if the website is down, there's a direct link to the to the streaming site, but we hope to have all of those issues rectified by then. Um, there's another question here of about Easter lilies. And the question is, can they be donated to a facility that would enjoy them? Um, you know, we typically every year, uh, we kind of get a lot of lilies to cover the whole front. We've limited the number of lilies that we have purchased only for the ones that we need. We will try to be good stewards with those lilies we're not allowing people to come by and pick them up um, uh, it, because just we're, we're trying to figure out how to do 
the appropriate thing with social distancing and if we have uh, we have talked about with leadership team if there's any ways for us to get those to hospitals or get them safely to other places once we're done um, with the lilies we will certainly um, attempt to do so and then we have the great opportunity that those gifts go to help us to memorialize those and to help us to remember um, the great power of the resurrection. Somebody asked a question here about, will we have a beautiful flower cross on Sunday? We've been working with our florists and contacting some others as well. And um, we have been encouraged in logistics and in safety and all things uh, for us not, we've been asked not to do the flower cross uh, this year. Having said that, we have a challenge and an opportunity. And that is to, um, you know, starting a little later this week, we're gonna be with our email, our can't wait, as well as social media. We're gonna be sending out a template for you to be able to make your own flower cross at home and for us to be able to uh, post those to social media. I know it's a huge disappointment that we can't take pictures by the flower cross and do that. But the other thing that when we started inquiring about it is we didn't need something where people were stopping outside the church um, and potentially congregating in an unorganized way where we couldn't control crowds. And so we really looked into it. We really wanted to do the Easter cross out front, but we're putting the responsibility on you and uh, putting the Easter cross into your hands and helping to share the love and the, the joy of Jesus Christ in resurrection. I see into the comments that maybe we can do a flower cross for Christmas. Maybe so. All things, all things are possible at this point. We just know that it's not possible at this time. We weren't even really quite able to have the florist supply chains available to do it. And we only wanted to do it if they could do, um, if they could do something safely. But we're going to get you something in order to be able to do that. Those are all of the questions that came in. And, um, oh, I did see one. Um, about uh, one other question here about how are things going for the church financially and um, what we do know is that uh, so grateful to you who have responded um, March was a month that was really close to budget in spite of what we've been dealing with the main thing is the migration of getting used to us donating online uh, from kind of doing it in the collection plate and bringing it to the church itself. So just really appreciative of that. And you're going to be amazed starting this Sunday, we're going to start to get to do some storytelling on some of the ways that we're feeding people is going to be an incredible, um, it's an incredible witness to Jesus Christ to see what the church is doing and responding to the needs of our community. Um, the number of people who are experiencing food insecurity right now has skyrocketed people who were living paycheck to paycheck, the, the spike in the nearly 7 million people in two weeks who were let off uh, of work. Um, so uh, we need your faithfulness and diligence. And I also just want to communicate our gratitude on behalf of the whole staff for what we're able to continue to do um, at full strength together. Hey, it's 530. I want to say thank you for all of you for jumping on. Let me close this in a prayer. God, thank you for great questions, for the mystery of faith. We thank you for the witness of what you've given us in your word, that when we go through suffering, that we are not alone, that yes, the struggles and the waiting and the delay is, um, is always painful. And we thank you, God, that you don't just give us an explanation, but you give us yourself and that you remind us that you will renew and restore all things. So thank you for being greater than a reason. 
thank you for um, giving us um, something to hold on to, in fact, someone to draw near to. And so I pray, God, that you will draw near to the people in the midst of their hurts. Lord, help us to draw near to those in our community who are hurting. And we ask, God, that your love would be with us, that you would protect us from the trials that we're going through right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Take care.